but it takes some of the pressure off to know that this reality is not everything. It's not even close to everything. When it comes to self-development, no matter the method you use, the vital point is to practice. If you're ready to transform your life, claim the potential inside of you, then you're in the right place. Welcome back to The Vital Point. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. As an integrative specialist and breathwork facilitator, I'm invested in making the dynamic landscape of personal evolution accessible. My goal is to inspire you to take action for yourself. You have the capacity to evolve and bring your intentions and dreams into the world, and there's never been more access to so many incredible modalities that can help you on your journey. This podcast will help you learn simple methods you can use to transform your life and share the stories of practitioners who are doing the work so that you feel inspired to go and practice because that's the vital point. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review. Go ahead and follow on whatever platform you're listening on. It's an easy, free way to support the show and help more people discover these simple, life-changing practices. If you're enjoying the show, please follow on whatever platform you're listening on. Leave us a five-star review. It's an easy, free way to support the show and help more people discover these simple, life-changing practices. Really appreciate your support. My guest on this special episode is Henry Winslow. Henry is the founder of Tricycle Day, a free twice-a-week newsletter covering the top stories in psychedelic research, policy, and business. And it's actually uh, fun to read. It's very entertaining. It's uh, written in a very accessible way that uh, I just keep coming back to again and again. And I am feel very fortunate to know Henry. Uh, we met just a little bit over a year ago, and his um, newsletter had 3,000 subscribers, and now he's up to somewhere above 38,000, which is just amazing. And I'm super happy for him and his continued growth. And we ran into each other at the Psychedelic Science Conference uh, last year in Denver. He asked me to lead breathwork as part of the first Tricycle Day Integration Club, where we did yoga and breathwork and meditation and integration. And more recently, Henry asked me to put together a course to publish through Tricycle Day called High on Your Own Supply, Psychedelic Breathwork for Self-Connection, Energy Regulation, and Mystical Experiences. And I was just so thrilled to be able to share what I do in my breathwork sessions uh, online and with my private coaching clients in the form of a course. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, the course is uh, in pre-sale with a nice uh, discount. And even if you're listening to it and the course is already launched, if you use the code that I'm going to put in, um, you will greatly benefit uh, me as well as an affiliate. High on Your Own Supply teaches psychedelic breath work. Uh, it also teaches methods for preparation and integration, how to use your breath to get more clarity, to be more present with your psychedelic work, your preparation, your integration. I put protocols for um, starting a breathwork practice, using breathwork around a psychedelic or plant medicine journey. And, you know, Henry pointed out during our, our conversation that 
the the methods and practices that I go over in this course are applicable to anyone, you know, in, in any walk of life. But I've really been enjoying the fact that I can be at this intersection of breathwork and psychedelic integration because that's what's helped me. And so uh, I'm just super grateful to be able to share this course. There's five different guided practices. There's Spotify playlists. And uh, I put together over three hours of instruction and information about uh, using breathwork for psychedelic integration, holotropic principles, and how um, the work of Dr. Stan Groff can deepen your own psychedelic work. Using your breath is one of the best things that you can do for psychedelic work, for entering into expanded states of consciousness, as well as supporting your integration. And, you know, you get so much in this course. You'll have a clear understanding of the science of breathing and really understand what each type of breath is doing for you. You get a suite of tools for psychedelic integration. You get a practical take on meditation that you might not have considered so that you can actually start and continue to have this practice that can benefit so many different parts of your life, uh, as well as the way to breathe so that you can enter psychedelic states with just your breath. You can get high on your own supply. So all of this, I'm so excited to share with you. If you go to breath.tricycleday.com, that's breath.tricycleday.com, and use the code Jonathan, my name, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at checkout. If we're uh, within the first couple of weeks of launch, you'll get a nice discount on the course. And even if uh, you're listening to this a while after the course has been released, if you use that code Jonathan at checkout, um, it greatly helps me as creator with working with Tricycle Day. So I really appreciate using that code Jonathan at checkout for breath.tricycleday.com. Super grateful to continue to know Henry and to have had the chance to sit down with him to have this conversation. We talk about uh, his experience with yoga and how that can be a spiritual uh, path uh, and then how his yoga practice and some of his psychedelic practices have uh, intersected. And I really enjoyed chatting with him about sort of the spiritual aspect of 5-MeO-DMT and really comparing some of our experiences and how we've integrated that, the frameworks in which um, we've been able to integrate and, and really dissect those experiences, go deeper into them. And uh, yeah, just a really enjoyable conversation where um, I found a lot of common ground as far as my beliefs and my experiences. And um, it's always nice to have conversations like that, that are very grounded and yet uh, very deep at the same time. So without further ado, uh, check out this wonderful conversation with Henry Winslow, founder of Tricycle Day. All right, Henry Winslow, welcome to the Vital Point Podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Jonathan. Yeah, so uh, we are, you know, the, the psychedelic world in certain ways is, is not as big as we think it is sometimes, right? And we have uh, some uh, mutual friends, which is nice. And that really inspired me to uh, want to chat with you more was hearing your recent uh, conversation with Cam on the Trip Sitting podcast. So 
appreciate your sharing that story and like the opportunity to continue kind of. Yeah. Talking. I had a great time talking to Cam and, um, yeah, I guess, I guess you could say I'm, I'm going through the, the podcast circuit now. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So how what's what's that like? Cause I know you had your yoga podcast. Uh, how long ago was that? Oh, um, yes, I did have a yoga podcast. It was called Dharma talk and I was doing that while I was a full-time yoga teacher. So it must've been around like 2018 to 2020 ish. Um, don't have the dates exactly right, but I ran it for 108 episodes, which is a, oh, an auspicious, auspicious, significant number in the yoga tradition. So that felt like a good uh, milestone to, to wind the series down at. Yeah, that's cool. That's a, that's a nice place to, uh, to end it, for sure. Um, and I always like it, like just being the host. It's so, it's so refreshing, like being the guest. It, do, you, do you find the experience a little bit more exhilarating or light? Or what's it like for you? Yeah. And it's always, it's always funny, like talking about sort of like spiritual stuff. Um, like I was, I was a guest on a podcast recently and I spent like an hour just being super hyped up about breath work and like really excited. And I'm talking about all my passions. And then like the last 10 minutes of the episode, the, the, the host was like, Hey, so could you lead us in a little practice? And I said, sure. And then I immediately went into like, Hey, like, okay, we're just gonna calm it down a little bit, and it was just like in my head. There was like, I'm like, oh, this is totally different than the energy that I've had for the last hour. <laughs> yeah, but that speaks to your ability to have control over that level of energy, which I know is something that you know you really celebrate about the practice of breathwork itself is mm. nervous system and energy regulation. Yeah, that that is true, and I do enjoy like having that awareness of oh, we're we're switching into these different modes or, you know, just how my energy reflects out for what I'm trying to, to share. And then it kind of ripples out into, into the space, whether we're, you know, in a room with, with clients or here, you know, where the audience is connecting with us uh, across time and space. Yeah, totally. Uh, Energy is contagious. And some people will talk about how they are empathic or empathetic, but I think to a certain degree, everyone is, whether they're aware of it or not. So when you step into a room and you carry a certain energy, people feel that and respond to it. Yeah. It's kind of like reading the room in a different way, right? It's reading the room and writing the room. There you go. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So I want to circle back to yoga, but I, I think it would be remiss just to sort of give you the proper introduction and, you know, mention that you are the the founder of uh, Tricycle Day, which is an amazing newsletter. Um, I, I like the way that you summed it up for on Cam's podcast. So could you just maybe give the that elevator pitch uh, here for our, our audience as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not exactly sure how I phrased it there, but I'll, I'll just do it off the cuff here. Tricycle Day is a free twice a week newsletter that covers the top stories in psychedelic research, policy, and business. Those are the three pillars. And and like I said, it goes out twice a week. So one of the issues per week is that roundup of the news. And uh, the other is an interview series called Psychonaut POV. 
on which you are one of the first guests. So between those two things, um, you know, readers get a nice uh, survey of what's happening so they can stay in the loop uh, of the psychedelic ecosystem. And then they also get exposed to a breadth and depth of different opinions and perspectives from people who are contributing to the space. Yeah, it's, it's a great newsletter. I highly recommend it. If you're not already subscribed, you should go and, uh, and get on it immediately. And we'll definitely post a link uh, on the show page for people to sign up. I think when I did this, when we did our Psychonaut uh, interview together, you had just hit 3,000 subscribers. So quite a lot of growth since then, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tricycle Day is now a little over one year old. And uh, as of today, has over 38,500 active subscribers. Uh, and they're highly engaged, which I'm, I'm really proud of and I think is, is super important. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. And yeah, that's, thank you. That's amazing growth. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it, it just speaks to it, it's something that, that people want. Um, I try to be really receptive to the feedback uh, and not be too attached to my own original interpretation or vision of um, what I wanted to do, uh, because mm. without an audience, like it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. So how is how has that changed then since from your sort of original vision? Um, I mean, well, I will say that my original vision was based on an insight that I still think is true which is I had become, you know, a consumer of the psychedelic media landscape, you could say. And right. I found that nothing out there was really speaking to an everyday reader. And because psychedelics are suddenly becoming much more popular and mainstreamed, I thought some of the content out there, there was like very dense or required a certain level of immersion or literacy in the space just wasn't going to speak to this new crowd of people who are coming in looking for information. Um, so if you kind of imagine like a, a bell curve of potential readers, like it was like this big section in the middle, that's not only the biggest, but it's also growing. They were completely underserved. So that's what informed the voice of tricycle day, which is to be very lighthearted easy to understand, dare I say, even entertaining, funny at times. Um, so that really informed the branding and the, the tone of voice. And, and that part has remained the same. Um, I think it's really like, like kind of the co cornerstone of what Tricycle Day is. But what's changed is like uh, some of the formatting, some of the different um, like ways that I've prioritized different information. Um, the Psychonaut POV did not exist in the very beginning. Uh, also in the very beginning, I thought I was going to do a daily newsletter, which was way too much. <laughs> Although yeah. the news flow is like sometimes there for that. Um, it, I was just like thinking, well, I want to, this is like, I want to make this my main thing. So I'm going to send a newsletter every day. But then I realized like, that's too much. That's overwhelming for my audience. If this is truly about people who are you know, psychedelics may not be their, their most important thing in their life. They just want to stay abreast of what's happening. Like once a week is probably good or twice a week. Yeah, it's it's a good cadence. And it's I, I definitely enjoy reading it. I think it's entertaining. I would agree with you on that. And, and it's also cool, like like I you know sort of started the episode with like the the psychedelic world isn't as big sometimes as it seems. And so it's super cool to see you know, either people that I know or past podcast guests like show up on the POV. Um, that's always cool. And it's just like, oh, yeah, we're a little bit more close knit than maybe uh, than I think sometimes. Yeah, I think we've had a, a good amount of overlap. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what do you think? I, I, I sometimes I get maybe, and maybe it's from the memes uh, that you use a lot rather than the the newsletter. But um, do you find a healthy amount of skepticism about like the psychedelic quote unquote renaissance is, is a good thing to, to have. You're asking if I think the skepticism is warranted. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, um, you know, these things tend to, we were talking about this before we turned on the recording, but the media tends to sensationalize, sensationalize things. Right. Like, um, and you know, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm not guilty of like turning up the dial on exaggeration or hyperbole. Cause that's kind of part of what I do. Um, but the mainstream media, you know, you have to remember like they're in the business of, of selling eyeball of selling clicks. Like they, they want to get a lot of visibility cause then they can sell advertisements. So, um, it's not always about creating the mo most nuanced take. It's about, you know, driving a headline that people will, will click into. Um, so that kind of manifests as a lot of hype in some cases, or, you know, the, the opposite end of the spectrum, just kind of like the boom and bust of, of any given thing. Um, so yeah, with psychedelics right now, it feels like we're very much in this hype phase and we have been for the past couple of years. Uh, it does seem that, you know, last year toward the end of the year, there were a couple of events that put some cold water on that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if 2024 brings a more level-headed discussion. Yeah, I think you know you mentioned like the 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 majority of the people in that bell curve, and I've often reflected on how sort of disorienting that must be for some people, uh, like that aren't so heavily involved in the psychedelic world, like you and I, where like for instance. Uh, you know, when I was in school, like we had the dare program, right. And it was like, yeah. like drugs are bad, like, and, and, and scene like full stop. Yeah. And now, like, if you're hearing these, if, if that's sort of the message that you got for years and years and years, and now you're getting these little sound bites about, you know, how transformative psychedelic work could be, or like you maybe stumble across how to change your mind on Netflix or something like that. Um, or in the social media world where you're getting sound bites that are taken out of context or, you know, things like that, I would imagine that it could be, you know, really like sort of a, a head scratcher for a lot of people. It could be confusing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of, yeah. lots of mixed messages there, you know? Yeah. I had dare growing up too. And, um, I remember even at the time, to be honest with you, I was like, a little skeptical of it right. because the whole premise of the like platform was like faulty. I remember they just started the program. Like I'll never forget this. They said a drug is something that you consume that changes the way your mind and body works. I was like, that's literally anything that you consume, <laughs> right? Like food falls under that category. So yeah. if we're defining drug in such an ambiguous way, clearly like, a blanket statement about whether it's good or bad, a blanket judgment is going to be misguided. Yeah. I think for me, I like, I had dare on the one hand and then like maybe some of the things that I was asking my parents on the other and my parents were definitely not the like 
dare. Like they weren't like they weren't saying like, yeah, go go out and do drugs. But yeah. you know, they were also like, well, you know, we had our time, and uh, it's yeah, not not all bad, and you know. Um, so it's, it's like cool for me now, uh, like in the last year, both my mom and my dad have had conversations with me about psilocybin, for instance. Um, and especially with my dad, it was like, like I was sitting there on the phone, like just sort of having this surreal moment of, is this really happening right now? Like, I, this is not what I would have put on the 2023 bingo card for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think I had a similar um, orientation to to drugs growing up. I mean, I my I knew I was aware that my parents had like had their time, as you said. And I remember the first time like I ever even like had a conversation at all related to psilocybin or just mushrooms, uh, magic mushrooms, as they were described, um, was my mom saying well, your dad's the one who sampled the magic mushrooms in college. So I knew it was not totally <laughs> off limits. Nice. That's awesome. Um, what was your first uh, psychedelic experience? My first psychedelic experience, um, if we're not including cannabis, would be um, a pretty mild dose of magic mushrooms, of, of psilocybin mushrooms, um, pretty late, in, like in my late 20s. Uh, and I'm, I'm 34 now. Uh, and I had them in the context of my yoga practice. Mm -hmm. I was with, uh, some friends in Woodstock, New York. So like upstate New York and a kind of like, you know, Woodstock, like kind of an old hippie town. Um, and we were just like in a cabin doing yoga for the weekend. And one of my friends brought out a bag of mushrooms, like, let's eat some of these before we practice and see what happens. Um, and it was my first time. It was not anyone else's, I don't think. And it was, like I said, it was, it was pretty mild for me. And, uh, you know, I had a nice practice. I think I opened up to maybe some new sensations, like a little bit of awareness in different parts of the body and different asanas. Uh, but it certainly wasn't like a kind of like mind unraveling, most profound experience of my life type of thing. Mm. Uh, but it was interesting enough that it made me dig a little bit deeper and, you know, read, um, how to change your mind and, and start going down the rabbit hole a bit. That's cool though, that like from the get go, there was, there was some coupling with it, right? Like, yes, it's, it's an interesting thing, like with, with mushrooms in particular, and maybe I'd put LSD in this category for some people where it's like, no, it's not always, um, like in a completely therapeutic setting or like ceremonial setting. Um, but it's like almost in that recreational, you know, sort of space. Like I've, I'll, I'll go on Reddit and there's like a, you know, like a shrooms uh, Reddit and people will be like, so I'm, I'm thinking about like taking like three grams and going to the bar with my friends. And I'm like, I, I mean, you do you, but like that yeah, doesn't exactly. sound like a good time to me at all, you know? So it's cool yeah. that, that you, you know, had that coupling with the yoga practice from the get go. That sounds really yeah, neat. Yeah, yeah, to, to each their own. But that certainly is not my relationship to to any psychedelic. Um, to me, I'm much more the type of person who wants to be introspective during psychedelics. So my favorite times with mushrooms have been either alone, like basically in the dark. I like going into a sensory deprivation tank 
like a float tank. Yes. I love that. And then alternatively being in nature. I love that too. What, what do you think is your sort of uh, sweet spot dose for uh, dosing in the sense sensory depth tank? Cause I've done that as well. Um, I mean, if I had one at my house and I didn't have to worry about like right. going somewhere and <laughs> potentially like something going sideways in the transport, then it would probably be a little bit higher, but given the reality of the circumstances, probably like a medium dose, like three grams max. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think I've done a gram, I've taken a gram in there, but like you said, it's like, you're sort of worrying about like the transportation and having to get yeah, out. Yeah. What's going to happen when I come out? Am I going to talk sober to the guy people? at the front desk? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Having a, having a tank would be like the dream for sure. Yeah. Definitely. It's on, it's on that, uh, on that vision board for sure. Yeah. On that rich life vision board. Make <laughs> it happen. Right. Yeah. Is that something that you're still doing on a regular basis? Like just the sensory deprivation practice? No, definitely not a regular basis, but I have done it several times and I, and I think it's a really nice practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I love it. It's uh, really cool. I have, I, again, I also haven't done it in a while, but I went through sort of a phase where it was like, once every week or a couple of weeks and oh wow it yeah was, that's, it was really that's regular neat. yeah well like um yeah there was a there was a place here in town that had like a membership and i was like cool that sounds great it sort of kicked off a really transformative portion of my life as well because it was like right out right off of my divorce and you know i had been kind of hibernating and just sort of hibernating and healing is what i would say and like processing and so it was a way that I could like get outside of the house, out of my hibernation cave, but like also not be super but go social. Go into a different hibernation cave. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, those, those float tanks are like a chrysalis. You like go into the cocoon and come out a different person. Yeah, yeah. I, and I really, really enjoyed it. And then it was like that led me into the 5-MEO experience that like really opened the door to a lot of the things that I'm doing now that I'm still sort of discovering, um, like drawing the dots back. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think I appreciate the, the time in for its part in the whole like mandala of, of what was going on. Yeah. Can I, uh, flip the script for a minute? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Can you tell me about your five MEO experience? What I recall from the actual experience was everything and I do mean everything, like in the external and in my internal world, like melting away into, it felt like I merged with some sort of like universal like consciousness. Um, what it reminded me of, and I've talked about other, I've talked about this with other practitioners, is it reminded me of what the Tibetan book of the dead describes as like the death process and the, the bardo process, which is the, the space in between, you know, uh, realms, right? So like, as you transition from this life, which is like a dream into your next incarnation, there's this bardo period, the in between. And, um, that's what it reminded me of, like, not at the time, but like, as I've reflected back on it, um, and then, I think a really cool part of the experience was as I started to come back, sort of the image that I had 
was like a leaky faucet where there was one drop coming out of the faucet at a time. And it was like, I was being rebuilt one drop at a time, like one thought, like almost like a meme, right? Cause a meme at its core is like the simplest uh, version of an idea, right? Like the lowest uh, deno- uh, denomination of an idea. So it was like, just being rebuilt and watching that and slowly the faucet being turned on a little bit more until like the drips became like a stream and I was being rebuilt and just sort of watching being rebuilt. Um, And then coming back and just being like, Whoa, that was incredible. And then the, the, the other, the other thing was like, I, after that for probably a couple weeks I had reactivations like almost every night. And some of the reactivations were just as intense um, as the, the experience itself. So like, I had no idea that any of that was going to happen. You know, like I've had some Mm -hmm. acid flashbacks, you know, like things get a little wavy or like certain color patterns where I'm like, Oh, something's not right here, but like nothing to that magnitude. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, And I love that metaphor, uh, that visual metaphor of the the faucet dripping you back into individual existence. Um, Because to me, that just like speaks to this idea that we are coming from that, that oneness, you know? Mm, Um, It's not that we are discreet from it. It's just, we are, you know, one little tiny speck that can easily and, and does dissolve back into the oneness of, of universality. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that's like continued to be relevant to me is this concept that, uh, you know, from my Buddhist practice, that that transition period out of this dream that we in general feel is so solid and not dreamlike, like we're really, we're really taking it seriously. We're really Mm -hmm. like taking ourselves seriously and reality seriously and like, oh, this is solid, right? Like I have a name and I have things that I like and things that I don't like. And like everything is so solid, at least in my mind, right? But then we we all are going through this transition period that none of us can avoid. And from the Buddhist perspective is so important for what happens next. And there's yeah. so- You're talking about death. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, there, and there's so and there's so much potential for things to go sideways in that transition period, right? Because I mean, let's let's face it: like, how many of us uh, are lucid dreaming as opposed to like just sort of, you know, that's like that, that's one of the examples that it's given, right? Is like you think when you're dreaming and something really intense happens, you wake up and you're like, oh my god, that really intense thing happened, and you might even be like emotionally or mentally impacted by it until you wake up and you're like, Oh shit, I was just dreaming. Right. Like, um, uh, in the 37 Bodhisattva practices, it says like suffering is like the death of a child in a dream. Right. Mm. So we're, we're taking these things that are completely illusory on a certain like meta level and like really taking them seriously. And yet, even if they are an illusion, even if we can step back and recognize that this is temporary and permanent, that it's illusory, it's still like the experience, the emotional resonance of it is still very real. Oh yeah, 
yeah, I can't just say like, everything's a dream and like, just, yeah, like get completely ungrounded. Right. So like, like, let's just, let's just posit that that's true. And then if we only get one shot for this really, really important experience of death and transition, but something like 5-MeO-DMT is giving us the opportunity to practice and like have more than one experience, like that is immensely valuable. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it's valuable. I think that that value carries forward, um, to speak to your point around integration, like, yes, you get a very visceral and like unavoidable experience of, of death practice with 5-MeO-DMT, but after that, you can take that memory with you and implement a more intentional meditative death practice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, and then it opened up like this whole world to me, you know, like I had a month after that, um, after that couple of weeks where I went and I traveled to LA, which is my hometown. I went to some really cool shows there. Um, I went to movement in Detroit, which is like one of my favorite places to be. It's like a three day techno festival in the middle of downtown Detroit. And I went to Minnesota and saw my, my, uh, my, my family for the first time in a couple of years and even went to a show there. And, um, so there was a lot of psychedelic being consumed during that month. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of like interweaving and just like release and, I I don't think I realized at the time, like how impactful the five MEO experience had Had been on that. But as I've looked back on it, as I've continued to integrate, it's, it's become super, super clear um, and just really beautiful. So yeah, I appreciate you asking. What about you? Yeah. Well, I appreciate that you kind of like were able to immediately connect it back to a philosophical tradition that mm-hmm. you had already been engrossed in mm-hmm. because that was the same for me rather than Buddhism. For me, it was, it was like yoga philosophy. And, um, I think that that connection to Bardo is really interesting and is giving me a different way to reflect on, on my own five MEO experiences. But for me, um, the attraction to five MEO in the first place was around the idea of being able to access uh, something called Samadhi in, in yoga and in Hinduism. Uh, samadhi is uh, the final step, the, the final destination of the yoga practice. And it's like basically after you've already mastered the body and the mind completely, you're able to let go of those things entirely. And, you know, what you described about feeling the external and the internal all melting away into a oneness very much, uh, resonates not only with how Samadhi is described in the text, but my own experience with 5-MeO as well. And um, I think you and I probably, I don't want to speak for you, but based on what you said, it sounds like, you know, having that philosophical framework made it a lot, not necessarily easier, but like, I don't know, manageable to make sense of that experience. Um, Because I don't know about you, but for me, there was certainly some terror uh, involved. Um, not, not really going into it cause I didn't know what to expect, but in those first few moments after, you know, ingesting the, the vapor, uh, you know, everything is, it's so quick, you know, and it's so powerful. It felt like, you know, like the heaviest object in the universe getting attached to my heart and then sucking it down, 
um, into the center of, of everything. And I was, fortunately it's so fast, like you don't have time to be too scared, but there was some terror there because it felt like dying. Um, it really did. Um, and I wasn't entirely sure if, if I was, maybe I was dying. And, um, because there was nothing I could do about it, you know, I quickly found the trust to surrender because there was no resisting anyway. So I just said, okay, if I died, then I died. Let's, let's explore this. And, um, and as soon as I made that decision to accept my, even my, the words in my mind started to unravel and I could no longer think in English language, like, or even abstract thoughts, like the, the mind disintegrated. But the last thing that my mind said to me was, you made it. Nothing else matters. This is the purpose. Like, this is why you exist is to experience this. And I felt like that was just, you know, the most powerful, profound gift I could ever receive in life. Mm. Yeah. How has that continued to kind of ripple out into your life? Um, kind of like what you said before around like how we take everything so seriously. Yeah. Uh, in our in our solid 3D life. Uh -huh. Like I still take my life seriously for sure. And I, and I think that we should all like have values and, um, and have conviction around things and, and care. We should all care. Uh, but it takes some of the pressure off to know that this reality is not everything. It's not even close to everything. Right. Yeah. I, I, I often think back to, um, have you seen the first Doctor Strange movie? No. There's this line when he like he, when he 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 goes searching for like the answers to his you know his condition, and like when he finds the first like wizard that he trains with, she says it's Tilda uh, Tilda Swinton, and she says like you've been you've been looking through reality through like a, a keyhole, you know. So it's like this idea that like we're basing our reality on this little tiny keyhole and you could really just open the door and it would be like this yeah. totally different experience, right? Yeah. Open the door and step through. Yeah. Yeah. A good thing to kind of touch back on is, you know, you mentioned like having that panic initially and being able to r relax into it. Um, and I, I guess in my work, what I've seen and what I've experienced myself is that, the majority of the time, like certainly there are, there are traumas that occur in the psychedelic space, but I would say the majority of what we call a quote unquote bad trip, I think, and this is just my opinion, um, it are those moments where we are resisting and we're not willing to like actually let go and just go with whatever is happening. And so the, the bad trip is, is the resistance. It's what's happening as like the mind or spirit tries to fight whatever's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It raises a lot of um, deeper questions around like free will and faith though, because like mm -hmm. we all have different uh, predispositions to willingness to surrender and yeah. you know, who's to say that it's really like that person's fault that they resisted, you know, like maybe yeah. their mind has just such a grip that it's much more difficult for that person. Yeah. Um, in which case, like, you know, is it the medicine? Is it the person? Is it the container? You know, it's hard. You know, for me, the way that I've kind of 
integrated that or continuing to integrate it is the is how important set and setting and dosage are um it's why i do the work that i do right where it's like hey it's the psychedelic experience isn't limited to like this six hour like window where you're actually ingesting medicine um the you know real integration starts with preparation and continues after the experience and what are the things that you have in your in your toolkit um to help you process that and to help you like uh sort of understand or explore or even just be open to like to that surrender experience when it comes up right yeah that's why breath work is so important to me because that's like you get uh, you literally get experience with that surrender. In fact, one of my, one of my mentors literally calls breath work going to the surrender gym. Cause his, his whole, his whole thing is like, you know, if you breathe, you're going to have a peak experience at some point. Right. But oftentimes Mm -hmm. what happens as people begin to make breath work, their practice rather than just an experience is they go through a session where there's not a peak experience and how we respond to that. Like, what do you do when it's just sort of boring and you're breathing for an hour, not like you're shot out into the universe. Um, and I've had those nights with ayahuasca as well, right? Like I've had nights where it's just like the, the bliss and unity experience and like visions and colors and all kinds of like really intense stuff. And then there's nights where I'm just sitting there and I'm with myself and my shitty thoughts and my shitty attitude and like my humanness. And it sucks. Cause I'm like, I, where, where is Disneyland? Like, I want to go back to Disneyland right now. I want to like, mm-hmm. I want the colors. I want the, you know, the, the, the beautiful experience and the medicine's like, no, actually we're just going to explore like how you're, not the greatest human being all the time yeah and that that takes an element of surrender too to accept that that's what you're supposed to that's the experience you're supposed to have at that given time yeah yeah so i you know i've i've heard sort of similar experiences in the breath work you know like it's like especially when people have really big peak experiences right out of the gate which most people do and then which is pretty common right right and then it's like that time where it doesn't happen like how do you respond to that like are you able to lean into it and be with whatever's coming up when it's not the love and light and bliss and like unitive Mm -hmm. experience when it's just like when you're there with yourself and maybe a part of yourself that like isn't the most comfortable like having having more experience with that i think is 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 really really great yeah yeah it sounds like for you like some of that is some of that resourcing was is coming from your yoga practice yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I think yoga is a is a great uh, integrative practice um, because it offers a, it like checks a lot of boxes. Yeah, you get physical movement, which can be incredibly grounding after uh, somewhat destabilizing has a negative connotation, but something that takes you out of your body and takes you into more of an ethereal space to get back into your body can be really healthy and uh, and restore like some sure some assurance and confidence and um it also has the meditative component that's also part of yoga is to to sit and and witness your thoughts as a as like a third party observer 
And, and the final piece is what I was talking about before, which is just having a sort of, um, esoteric framework for have for understanding, or at least like processing what you just experienced from a psychedelic journey. Um, and I think that not like, it doesn't have to be yoga, but any sort of spiritual tradition that gives you language to articulate what happened can be very helpful just to be able to express something, um, out loud or, or even in your, in your mind's voice to be able to like talk about something to yourself or to others, um, makes you feel like you have more of a handle on it. Yeah. What, what advice would you give somebody that like is just, is curious about the yoga path and wants, cause I think what you're describing sounds to me like a little bit more, um, involved and holistic than just like showing up to a class where you're just going to go through a bunch of different poses. Yeah. I mean, yoga asana, I think is a great place to start for pretty much anybody who's interested in yoga because it's really accessible. Um, it's out there, you know, there, there are classes everywhere, but you should just know going into it that, yeah, that is just a kind of like glimpse of the full yoga practice. But I think what's nice about it is like, you know, some of these popular yoga studios and, and gyms, they try to integrate the other elements. They teach a little bit of yoga philosophy in between the poses. And sometimes you'll begin with some pranayama or breath work or, um, uh, or end with a little bit of meditation. And even if you don't actually approach those modalities, like explicitly, you get an element of meditation just from doing the movements and being focused on like proprioception and interoception. So you kind of get it in one package. Yeah. I don't, I don't have anything against like popular yoga. I think it's great. I, I think that it's a lot better than not doing yoga. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just, I, I think that was one of the things I wanted to ask you is as a yoga novice, um, my impression is that the, the yoga world is much bigger than maybe the fitness aspect that we sort of tend to see in the West here. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, you know, the, the yoga fitness in the West is, uh, very much shaped by the desires and, um, interests of people in the West, uh, and people want to get in shape. Uh, people want to look good naked. So, you know, if you can get into a class and it's, they're selling the promise of getting in shape and feeling better in your body. Um, but you just happen to get some secondary effects that were not part of what pulled you into the class, then why not? That's even better. Right. And I think if I'm remembering your conversation with Cam correctly, that was kind of your experience. Yeah. For me, like I just, I wanted to do tricks. <laughs> I had been a springboard diver. So like, you know, I, I had like an acrobatic background. I was always like, thought it was cool to do flips and twists and yoga is not exactly that, but you learn how to balance on your hands and put your body in interesting positions. And that was exciting to me. Uh, but it was immediately apparent, like I'm talking first class that there was a lot more to it, um, in terms of what, what I was getting back. Yeah. So just being able to drop in to your body as you're going through these poses is creating yeah, some I think, more awareness. I mean, people talk about like flow state, right? It's like this idea when you are so immersed in what you are doing that like the distractions fall away and you enter like a different headspace. That's what I get reliably from my yoga practice. It's 
it's hard to describe it without having a frame of reference if you've like never had something like that. But I think people get it from surfing. People get it from doing things that they like really love. Um, but I'm like focused, I'm dialed in, but also at the same time, my mind is totally like, it's like vacant, but focused at the same time. And yeah. because of that, like that space that's opened up, it's like my subconscious is able to bubble up to the surface and I get all these like creative ideas. I get insights, I get downloads, um, and it's effortless. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there's a, I mean, the way I'm relating to it is there's also a lack of distraction that we normally have, right? Where usually the attention is turned outward somehow, whether it's looking at a screen or thinking about work or, you know, chores, bills, family, all the things that we have, you know, kind of on our minds and having a dedicated time and practice where you're dropping into yourself and you have that awareness turned inward just creates a lot more spaciousness. It's essential for me. I mean, this day and age, there are so many things that are competing for your attention. And we're talking about like trillion dollar companies that have spent millions, billions of dollars, hyper engineering algorithms that are designed to like hijack your dopamine system and keep you looking and pulling your attention in different directions. So to like create circumstances in your life that are regular and consistent to step away from that to me is like a foundation of my health. Yeah, absolutely. It's been interesting for me as like someone that's meditated for a long time to just notice, you know, in the last few years being an, an entrepreneur and having my own business and running that off social media to some degree, like just noticing this, the changes in my mind and like the sort of the desire to reach for the phone that wasn't there a few years ago. And, um, and the technology is so disruptive, right? We really don't know what it's doing in the long term. Yeah. And there is some research that's been coming out that's kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> so like you're saying, to have have some, some practices to balance that out uh, seems really important for sure. I think the important thing to know there is that like you can't win the fight through sheer willpower because like I said, I mean, these... you there's so much money and resourcing going into making these things addictive that you have to like create the circumstances where it's impossible to use them, <laughs> right. you know? Um, cause you, you won't win that fight consistently if it's just about like, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm always like, I'm always recommending like meditate first thing in the morning, like get out of bed, pee, drink water, meditate. Do not, do not let yourself, right. Do not let yourself, grab the phone or get distracted because that's just a losing, it's a losing battle. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, you've got to be responsible for your, you know, for yourself and finding those methods that are going to put you into that space. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a wonderful place to be when you look at it from that perspective, right? Like no one's coming to save you. You got to save yourself. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say about it is like, it doesn't need to be a chore. You know, no. you can find like once you've experienced like the relief <laughs> right. that comes from from giving yourself that that indulgence, like if you think about it as a gift that you're giving yourself and um and allow yourself to like indulge in it, yeah. It it, it becomes something that you want to do, not something that you're forcing yourself to do. 
Absolutely. That's, that's super key. I thank you for mentioning that. Cause that, that is really true. And I, you know, I find that with my practices and, and my clients as well. It's like, I'm, I'm always recommending people start really small rather than saying like, you know, someone will say like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, okay. Let's, yeah, don't worry about what I do. Right. Because if, if I tell you like to, you know, do 30 minutes of meditation in the morning and 30 minutes of breath work every night, which is what I do, like just as a, for instance, you're probably going to give up like after a few days, like, but if you started with five minutes and started to feel the benefit of that, and then that leads you into 10 minutes or 15 minutes, something like that, or, or a second session, or, you know, like you, you went to one yoga class, you felt really great. And then you're going to like go and sign up for a membership or commit to a weekly practice, you know, something like that. Like that's so much better than just giving someone like this, like blank, you know, like, Oh, this is what you should do. Or, you know, and, and yet we're bombarded by that. Right. Like it's, it's marketing. It's like, Oh, this is, this is the solution. Or, you know, I see people, that are breathwork facilitators, like putting down meditation or, you know, meditation teachers, like putting down breathwork. And it's like such a weird, it's my way. Right, right, right. It's, it's, it's such a interesting space to be. And even like, for instance, uh, and maybe this is a good segue into talking about the course that we're coming out with, but like, you know, like even there's, you know, some particular breathwork, the psychedelic breathwork that we do in the course that, is very similar to like a very popular uh, branded type of breath work. But like that person didn't invent that breath work. They're just pulling from pranayama techniques and, you know, different, different ancient yogic traditions and like packaging it, branding it, you know, and saying, this is mine. Right. And it was something that yeah. I found really interesting when I got involved in breath work was like, well, how can I, how can I say that I'm like, you know, this is my intellectual property with the way that you're breathing. Yeah. It's like, no, you know, like we're, we're, we're rediscovering ancient wisdom. And yeah, totally. I, I remember one thing that, um, someone I met early on in my like psychedelic, uh, community introductions, he said to me, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. And I, I always remember that quote and like, it like rings in my head. Um, yeah, the intellectual property can be, like you can own the way that you market and package something, but yeah, we've been doing the same thing as, as civilizations for millennia. Yeah. And as I mentioned, like in the course, uh, one of the things that has always been really interesting to me is when you think about, uh, let's just take four, you know, pretty ancient cultures, Sanskrit, uh, you know, Chinese, Greek, and Hebrew, uh, the word for spirit and breath is the same in all of those, in all four of those. Like, I don't think that that's an accident, right? So it's like, we're, we're rediscovering things that people have known for a long time. And, and maybe it's just now it's the right time to reconnect with that in contrast to this sort of hyper-focus, uh, hyper-attention, like you said, you know, sort of dopamine jacking uh, environment that we, we find ourselves in now. Yeah. Even, even the romance languages too, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like inspire is, it's like comes from the word for inhale yeah. in the romance languages. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I keep uh, tiptoeing around it, but we have a course that's coming out soon. Uh, get high on your own supply. In fact, if you're listening to this podcast, 
um, the pre-sales are, are open and uh, you should definitely check it out. Uh, this is Henry and I's, I guess, technically second collaboration, right? Because you invited me to the the integration club uh last yeah, year and if you include the interview it's the third right right yeah so we go way back that's way right. <laughs> back to january 2023 <laughs> i mean for you i think like there's been a lot of growth in that you know since that time which is really cool so uh i'm sure there's been a lot of growth for you too yeah in my in my own way um so i appreciate you saying that but yeah the it's the course is get high on your own supply it's how to use breathwork for your psychedelic preparation integration and to reach uh the psychedelic space even without um you know working with other medicines you know just being able to connect with uh, a non-ordinary state of consciousness through the breath um there's like five different guided practices there's over three hours of me talking about breathwork and how amazing it is for your preparation and integration um, and it's definitely, I would say the, the target market for that course is, uh, probably listening to this podcast right now. So, yeah. um, we'll put, yeah. we'll put a link to the, to that, uh, on the show page. But if you're just listening to the podcast, it you can go to breath.tricycleday.com. And if you, That's right. if yeah. you use the code Jonathan, my name, J O N A T H A N at uh, checkout, um, there's a discount code that should be applied if you uh, are getting in uh, during the first couple of weeks. Yep. So definitely yeah. try that code. Yes, try it. Try it. Hopefully it still works. And if it doesn't, you can reach out to one of us and maybe we can make it work for you. Yeah. I appreciate you, you know, um, wanting to collaborate with me. Like, I, I feel really grateful, um, slightly humbled that out of the whole, you know, field of folks that... Uh, that you wanted to, to work with me. So th thank you for that opportunity. Seriously, my, my pleasure. Um, you know, when we first met, I got a really good impression from you. Uh, and that's why I wanted to keep doing things with you. I think that what I really liked about your approach is like me, um, you really value explaining things. You're not just about direct experience. You're providing that foundational knowledge too. So, you know, one thing that you, you did not mention in your quick little briefing about the course is that you do like a lot of upfront education around why this stuff works yeah. and, um, and, and what the different types of breath work are. I think a lot of people will probably jump into this course because they want to have that psychedelic transformative experience. And yes, you can certainly get that from the information and practices provided in the coursework. However, I don't want to, um, undersell the, the more quote unquote, basic breathing that you're teaching in there too, because getting in tune with your internal state, your nervous system as a practice for self-awareness, and then also for regulation, like that's really valuable stuff that doesn't seem as sexy or magical, but yeah. I would argue maybe that is more practical I... and practical is magical. I, I would, I would argue that as well. Like, and that's why I included it. Right. Because like, like think about the experiences we've talked about during this conversation. These are, um, potentially disintegrating experiences, right? Like, like things are kind of unraveling and having the capacity to sit with that 
and to, to keep your breath, to keep your presence and to be able to open and not be resistant to this pretty big, intense experience, I think is super, super valuable, um, for psychedelic work. And maybe not if like your intention is like, you just want to go and like giggle with your friends in the woods or something, or like, you know, go to the bar, like we were talking about earlier, heaven forbid. Um, but you know, for intentional psychedelic work for people that are approaching these medicines with reverence and with the intention of, um, transformation or healing or, um, you know, addiction, PTSD, like the things that I get really excited, um, you know, as far as potential. And also like, this is how it's worked for me. You know, like I've gone, for instance, and I, I have, I have friends of mine that have said like, well, you'll go through another cycle of this and it'll, it'll change directions. But I've gone from like regularly ingesting five grams or more and like just sort of hanging on and, you know, enjoying the ride for the most part. Um, at one point, a couple of years ago, the mushrooms like basically said, you could start taking less and you're going to get more out of it. And I didn't listen at first and I got like my butt handed to me. Um, and then I started to pull it back, but sit in a more intentional way, like in a more meditative or introspective way. And I feel like I get more out of those experiences than with the higher doses. Um, so there's something to, being in that therapeutic zone with presence, with the capacity to like have awareness of what's happening in my body and the nervous system capacity to be with that. Um, cause I think some of what, some of what we learn doing like somatic work or nervous system work is that, um, there's a sensation and you, this is, I, I'm guessing you would agree with this from yoga, the yoga perspective as well. There's sensations that we feel, and then we make a meaning and a thought around those sensations. And the, having the ability to step back from that and experience a sensation as just that, or see the, the thought or the meaning that you're making come up around that and being able to like, oh, well, hold on. What if I didn't automatically assign this particular meaning to this experience? Like, what would that be like? There's a lot of healing and transformation that goes on within that, that particular um, flavor of experience. Yeah, I think what you're describing is also quite similar to this idea of like uh, injecting space in between uh, an input and one's response or reaction to it, which is at the root of a lot of like the, the healing that people can have with psychedelics for addictions, uh, chemical dependencies or behavioral dependencies, right? As you get that, that distance to be able to watch how you respond to something and choose a different course. Um, but I totally agree with you around like dosing and intensity of experience. Like even if we talk about, you know, we, we both had five MEO experiences and we both had experiences with psilocybin. I would say that, you know, five MEO was incredibly profound and, and transformative for me. However, from a therapeutic standpoint, it's so powerful that you almost like can't even work with it. Whereas with psilocybin, like 
you're there for it. Your ego hasn't dissolved. So some things can come up that may be difficult and you're actually able to engage with them. And so if we t follow that spectrum, even one step further, I think that's, you know, a place where you can reasonably, you know, assign breath work. It's like you have total control over the, the gas and brake pedals. Yeah. You, know? um, you can go higher, you can go lower. It's not like you bought the ticket, you're taking the ride. It's like, I'm deciding where I want to be with this. And for that reason, I think it has a tremendous amount of therapeutic potential. Yeah. I've talked to so many people like after a breath, like a big breath work session and like had the, like, I'm like, yes, this is my experience as well, where they say that was incredibly close and reminiscent of being in the psychedelic space, but with more clarity and more mm -hmm. presence. And yeah. that is just so valuable. Like that was what hooked me into it in the beginning was like, I'm, I'm in this space and I'm kind of looking around and I'm like, Oh, I, I know where this is. Like I've been here before, but in a different, like a slightly different way. Like the insights are there. The, the downloads are there. The clarity is there, but I'm not also like on this roller coaster of the, you know, whatever molecule I ingested kind of like, yeah, you're like, not intoxicated. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, and I, I work with other people where it's like, that's their curiosity. They're like, Hey, I read how to change your mind or like somebody told me about these medicines, but I'm hesitant at this moment for a myriad of reasons, whether it's legality or I just don't feel ready for it, or I want to titrate my way into it. And, but breath work, I think I could handle that. And I'm like, yeah, because before you strap, you know, strap a rocket pack to your back and blast off into outer space, like let's get into the atmosphere. Like, let's, like, let's, let's have that experience with the surrender so that when you're working with uh, a medicine, like you have that, that frame, you have that context. Oh, this is what's happening. This is what I need to do as far as just relaxing into it and just being the witness. Yeah. So in that sense, it can be, it can be a really valuable, uh, preparatory tool. Yes. And, um, and I think for obvious reasons, it can be really valuable for integration too. It allows you to kind of like go back yep. into that medicine space and revisit some of the things that maybe you left open-ended. Um, but I think even more than that, it's like, this can be a practice in and of itself. Absolutely. It doesn't hinge on psychedelic use in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And I appreciate that you gave me the ability to lean into that psychedelic framework a little bit. Uh, more than maybe I, I do because it's like, uh, and maybe this is my own growth place as a coach, but I'm not at this point in time, like I'm not excluding people that from my coaching practice that like aren't working with psychedelics in tandem to breath work, but there definitely are a lot of people that are doing that. Right. So it's like, um, you know, I also work at a treatment center where nobody's working with psychedelics and, you know, and I've seen people that, have had disintegrating experiences with psychedelics. So um, that's another reason why I think the integration piece is so important because it's not just the medicine itself. It's like, how are you working with that medicine? And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's nice though to like, to put that course together and to really get this like framework that I've been working on with people into uh, a different platform and different medium that people can continue to like explore on their own.
I think you're getting a lot of my experience really over like the last five years. Um, so, you know, you don't have to necessarily like fall into all the pitfalls that I did or like, you know, go down all the different rabbit holes that I did. I've, I've really laid out a, a pretty complete path that's really worked for me as far as, you know, overcoming a, a really dysfunctional marriage and some active alcoholism and, you know, just not feeling good about my life in general. And, you know, that's where I started. My path was like, I, I, I got some things I need to change and I'm looking for answers, you know? And uh, so you're getting a lot of that experience and the things that have worked for me and work for other people, work for the people that I work with. So uh, I'm really excited to finally get this baby out and to be able to share it. And I appreciate that, uh, we get to do it together through tricycle day. Same here, same here. Um, so thank you for putting it all out there. I'm stoked that we got to do this together. Uh, and I'm really excited to see what, what people think of the, of the course, how they respond to it. Um, I know it's gonna like unlock a lot of breakthroughs for people. So I'll, I'll just let people know the name of the course one more time. It's called high on your own supply and you can, uh, pre-register, you can, um, pre-enroll for the course at breath.tricycleday.com and use the code Jonathan to get a sweet discount. Awesome. The way I like to end the show is just asking you what your vital point is. So the, the name of the show kind of came from uh, a Buddhist idea. Um, you know, Shanti Deva, for instance, said, it's not, is it appropriate for me to get mad at my doctor if all I do is look at the bottle of medicine and I don't take it? Um, so the vital point is that you have to, you have to apply whatever it is, you know, you got to do the yoga practice. You can't, you're not going to get the benefit of a yoga practice from watching a YouTube video or listening to a podcast. You actually have to go and, and apply the thing, right? So that's my vital point. Um, is there anything that's alive to you either from this conversation or just in your life, in your work in general that you'd like to share with the audience as your vital point? So vital point is like my, my like key message. Yeah. Like the thing that I want people to take away. Yeah. The first thing that's coming up for me, um, is, and I don't know if it's necessarily tied directly to what we were talking about, but I'll just yeah. you know speak from the heart. Totally. Cause what's came up is do the thing, just whatever it is that you have been like, you've had a whisper that's been telling you like you should be doing something or you want to do something. But for whatever reason, like you've held yourself back from doing procrastination because you want it to be perfect. You want every, all the situation, the circumstances to be aligned, the stars to be aligned for you to go do it. That never happens. The only way that happens is because you decide. So my vital point is do the thing. I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here talking with you about this course if uh, I waited for it to be perfect. <laughs> Definitely, definitely had to apply that vital point. So thank you for sharing that. I can definitely relate and agree. Well, Henry Winslow, thank you so much for, for being here on the vital point. Um, thank you for just being a friend and, and for the connections that we've made. And I, I appreciate the, the friendship that's continuing to unfold there. Um, definitely subscribe to tricycle day. Um, and if you don't follow him on social media, you're missing out on like some of the greatest psychedelic memes uh, that are around at this point. So definitely uh, connect into that network if you haven't already. 
and uh, hope we get to do this again sometime. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I appreciate the friendship as well. I look forward to doing more stuff together and hopefully we'll get to see each other in person again one of these days. That's right. I sincerely hope you found value and inspiration in this episode. If it struck a chord with you, I'd be grateful if you took a moment to leave a review. It's a simple, cost-free way to show support and help more like-minded people discover the show. Also, super excited to share the course with you we just talked about uh, in the episode. That's high on your own supply. My first course with Tricycle Day. My first course that I'm releasing at all. So thank you to Henry for having the trust and faith in me to uh, get my vision out into the world. You can go to breath.tricycleday.com to purchase the course. Use the code Jonathan at checkout for a discount. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Uh, Until next time, remember it's not just the method you choose or the pace at which you travel. The vital point is to consistently show up for yourself and practice. As the saying goes, it's not the destination, but the journey that truly matters. And I'm honored to accompany you on yours. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm just a uh, email, DM, or review away. Let's journey, grow, and transform together. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much to Henry Winslow of Tricycle Day for being on the show. Definitely uh, check out and subscribe to Tricycle Day as well. Until our next episode, keep exploring, keep growing, and above all, keep practicing because that's the vital point.